You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. You know, if you really think about it, we've gone from the smallest government in world history to the largest government in world history in a shockingly short amount of time. And during this short time, we've seen individual freedom and civil liberties decimated in the wake of the state's never-ending quest for more and more control. Democrats, Republicans, both are to blame. This show isn't about picking sides. It's about returning power to its rightful owner, the individual. Welcome to Freedom Strips on the We Are Libertarians Network. Well, hello, hello, and welcome back to a brand new episode of Freedom Strips. Thank you for uh, joining us once again. I'm bringing this back into video format. So uh, for those that, that follow us on Facebook, um, you may know that we I've kind of done some episodes in the past in this video format. I was doing them... Um, prominently on the, the democratic debates early on, or actually, um, in uh, late 2019, while I was following the democratic debates, I did a video series on it. A lot of my episodes on that, um, one of the more popular episode series that I've done, um, I did them in video format. A couple of them got flagged and taken down because I think it was a uh, copyright violation just because I was showing some of the, uh, I, I, some of the vi- the videos I was showing actually had like some of the like MSNBC and CNN logos on it. That's the only thing I can kind of think of why they would flag it and take it down. I don't know. I wasn't using mi- music or anything. I was just purely using videos, kind of myself. And so I put a lot of work into them. They they flagged them and took them down. So I kind of got frustrated. I was like, all right, I'm not going to do this video thing. I don't want the Facebook police that that goes overboard on censoring everything. Um, to, to ruin the product that I'm trying to put out. Um, I'm going to try it again. I'm not going to be showing like, you know, um, live broadcast newsroom footage, just internet videos. I'm going to be showing on, on, uh, showing a couple articles today. Uh, so we'll see how it goes, but, uh, let's go ahead and, uh, and jump on in. First thing I wanted to think about is, um, I mean, if you really think about this COVID-19 mess, it just keeps getting worse and worse, especially the unemployment numbers. This is CNBC right here. Um, The U.S. weekly jobless claims hit a 3.84 million, topping 30 million over the last six weeks. So this is unemployment insurance, by the way. This isn't total the total number of unemployment um, in the country. This is purely for unemployment insurance. So the number is is much, much greater than just 30 million. This is just the tip of the iceberg. This is only reflecting those who have unemployment insurance and are um, putting claims in for unemployment insurance. So if you don't have unemployment insurance, you can still be, I mean, you're not counted in these numbers. You're obviously still unemployed. You just don't have unemployment insurance. So I mean, this is the lowest possible number here. This is this is just people filing for unemployment insurance. So um, first time filings for unemployment insurance hit three point eight four million last week as the wave of economic pain continues through the worst, though the worst appears to be in the past, according to the Labor Department figures on Thursday. Economists surveyed by Dow Jones had been looking for three point five million jobless claims for the week. Uh, jobless claims for the week ended April 25th, 
came in at the lowest level since March 21st, but brings the rolling six-week total to a whopping 30.3 million as the worst part of the worst as the part of the worst unemployment crisis in U.S. history. Claims hit a record 6.87 million for the week of March 28th and have declined each week since then. Boy, I tell you, this is, um, as I kind of stated, as I kind of stated in the last video, the, the the economic pain that every that the country is going to be feeling. I, I mean, if you're a small business owner, your, your business cannot survive stuff like this. People are hemorrhaging workers. They they can't they can't make uh, rent payments. These people are losing their jobs by the millions, by the millions, and all for what? The, all for the protection of a virus that seemingly has the death toll has the death capacity of a bad flu year. Now things can change. I said this in the last in my last episode, things can change. If this thing comes back in the winter real nasty, maybe it mutates, maybe it's very very dangerous. We just don't know. But at this time I understand having to prepare for the worst, but just taking this sledgehammer to the economy like this where you're driving millions of people into poverty. Millions of people into poverty, untold uh, amounts of small businesses crushed. These are people's livelihoods. And they're having to depend on what? A $1,200 check from the government? One $1,200 check that many still haven't gotten. I haven't gotten mine. So I, I know a lot of people still haven't gotten theirs, and they're in a lot worse position than I'm in. Um, so, I mean, this is the thing. is like they're wrecking, they're wrecking these people's livelihoods. And for what? Something that 50% of cases are asymptomatic. People don't even know they have it. And then a large majority of the people that get it, an extreme mass majority, have very mild to moderate symptoms. And a very, 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 very small percentage have serious symptoms from this virus. And that small percentage nearly like 90% of them already have pre-existing conditions that make them even more vulnerable to a virus like that. And they would be even more vulnerable to the, uh, the seasonal flu as well. So it's just, it's a mess guys. I mean, this is just, this is just the start. Like I said, this is just the start. This is at 30 million. It's going to continue to climb that the actual number is much higher. It's a mess. I don't see this ending anytime soon. Uh, let's move on. So I thought this was um, this was interesting. This is an article from the Libertarian Republic. Um, this writer was kind of talking about how Sweden um, kind of took a different approach, kind of like a laissez-faire approach, where they they quarantined the vulnerable. They asked the vulnerable to stay at home, but the healthy people they were welcome to go out and shop. Um, they were welcome to. Stay home if they wanted to. Obviously, if you want to self-quarantine and, and stay at home and not, you know, be around other people, then you, you have the right to do so. But if you want to continue to work and provide for your family, well, who are we to say you can't? So this, that's the uh, direction that Sweden took. Um, so uh, on this article, the title is Individual Freedom Works for Disease Mitigation, says the World Health Organization. So that kind of caught my eye. I said, like, uh, what? The World World Health Organization said that? I got to read this. So it, it was someone at the World Health Organization 
kind of was uh, shedding some light on how Sweden took this kind of laissez-faire approach and uh, it's worked out pretty well for him so far. So far, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens later on. But on a Wednesday press conference, Michael Ryan at the WHO's health emergency program caused indignant headlines to ripple uh, across the globe faster than coronavirus can infect your respiratory tract. Sweden's somewhat, somewhat diverging uh, coronavirus strategy has been treated with outrage, anger, and disbelief in global news coverages, uh, plus a handful of libertarians celebrating its new acquired laissez-faire status. If we are to reach a new normal, Ryan said, Sweden represents a future model. So, um, essentially... Like I said, Sweden has taken this kind of different approach. And what they found is Sweden has a lot of cases of this virus. You know, a lot of people are are yelling at them that, you know, they have a uh, disproportionate amount of cases uh, as opposed to other countries where they've taken more priority and just shutting everything down, which kind of makes sense. You know, as people kind of walk around, uh, more people are going to get sick from this virus. But the thing is, it's like they're, they're kind of taking the herd immunity approach, right? It is it is a very, very, very slim chance and a very small number. If you are in your 20s to 30s, you're healthy, you have no pre-existing conditions, you get this virus, it's like a, most likely you might not even have symptoms. One, you might not even have symptoms at all. Two, if you get it, it's going to be a very mild to moderate case, like the flu. So, uh, did the strategy work? Um, so, so far, that's anybody's guess. Wall Street Journal's Joseph Sternberg correctly noted on this, the jury is still out. I have no idea whether Sweden's more modest approach to the COVID-19 pandemic, keeping schools and restaurants open while restricting visits to retirement homes, will be a success or a colossal and deadly mistake. No one will know either for probably months. In time, we'll have better numbers, more complete infection numbers, fatality rates and recoveries, as well as economic and financial damage done, such as jobs lost, businesses destroyed, and value eradicated. Economists and other social scientists will have a field day trying to separate the damage done by this disease from the seemingly outrageous damage done by government officials. Until then, we have to make do with what we have. The number of the new COVID-19 deaths reported by Sweden's public health agency peaked in mid-April, suggesting that those dying contracted the disease in late March. The study declined in deaths since <clears throat> the steady decline in deaths since then point to the effectiveness of the measures taken or perhaps the limits of the virus itself. Perhaps I'm overly cheerful here, but the per capita rate looks like the S-shaped curve we would expect pandemics to have, and the steadily declining numbers of new casualties suggest that at least something is working. Some upset commentators have pointed out that Sweden still has an awfully high death rate, worse than, the, than other Nordic countries or Germany and the United States, but not quite as bad as the UK, Italy, or Spain. Sweden's deviant and lenient policy has, quote, contributed to one of the, wor the world's highest COVID-19 death rates, exceeding that of the United States. 
That's true. Using numbers from April 30th, Sweden's per capita death rate stands at 25 per 100,000 inhabitants, while the U.S. number is at 18. But the U.S. is vast, and most rural places have hardly any infections and very few dead. A different picture emerges when we compare uh, only the epicenters of each country. Excuse me. New York City and Stockholm. One reason I want to make that comparison is that both regions account for large parts of their argue <clears throat> of of their country's respective deaths. COVID-19 so far is predominantly a New York affair, as Brett Stevens aptly argued in the New York Times. Similarly, similarly, did I say that right? Okay. Uh, Stockholm proper, not including the two adjacent regions from which there is uh, usually extensive commuting, commuting uh, accounts for over half of all Swedish deaths and more than one third of all confirmed cases. In the table, I also include deaths from Stockholm adjacent to administrative regions Stormland and Oppland. So right here, the, the numbers he has is uh, <clears throat> New York City has a population of 20.1 million. Stockholm has a 2.3 million population. There are 18,076 deaths in New York City, 1,665 deaths in Stockholm. The per capita death rate per 100,000 is at 89.9 for New York City and 72.4 for Stockholm. The share of the country's deaths, New York City has a 29.6% share of the, the entire country's death rate, and Stockholm has a 64.4% share of the country's death rate. I noted in an earlier piece that the population density of Stockholm roughly equals Chicago or Boston, so some consideration might be given for New York City's extremity here. Nevertheless, depending on pr political priors, we can lean, we can lament or celebrate, lament or celebrate Sweden's approach all we want, but laissez-faire Stockholm seems to fare better than locked down New York. And that's before discussing any difference in financial shocks, which ought to be much worse in New York. What's going on in Sweden is remarkable, which even now the WHO's epidemiologists admit. So I thought that was an interesting, an interesting read because, um, as stated in this article that the jury is still out, we don't have the full complete numbers from this whole COVID-19 mess. Who knows when this is going to be over, but as of now, it seems like these things are trending down for everyone, including Sweden. Um, but at the end of the day, Sweden looks like it's going to come out of this thing better than the United States would. Um, not only did they not take a sledgehammer to their economy, they actually let people work. And yes, they have more cases, which makes sense because, I mean, if you tell everybody in the country to stay at home, you're going to have less cases. And that's the whole idea. I get that. But for the majority of cases, these people are getting either asymptomatic or very mild cases. And so by the, by the end of this thing, the, the United States is going to be struggling immensely uh, economically, whereas Sweden is not going to have that roadblock to go over. They're going to be chugging along just fine. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, let's go ahead and move on. Now, this was a uh, pretty exciting 
turn of events here. <laughs> um, Justin Amash has become the first official libertarian member of Congress. So Justin Amash has switched from the independent party. He, he had uh, switched from the Republican party to the independent party. And he just recently changed to a libertarian and is, uh, he put together a group to go after the libertarian bid for president. So essentially he's running for president on the libertarian ticket. It will, we'll see if he gets the nomination from the party. He's got, uh, he's got to go up against, um, several of the other candidates that the LP, uh, has currently running, but it's hard to see that it's hard to see Amash not getting through that fairly easily. Um, he's far and away. I mean, this is the first sitting member in Congress. Um, that is a libertarian. So he has the kind of name recognition that you would see, um, he, he also, you know, made his name known with the whole, um, the Trump impeachment, which I disagreed with him on. I, I didn't agree with him on, on that at all. I, I thought that was a really weird hill to die on. That being said, um, and I'm, I did a whole episode on this. Well, not a whole episode, but I talked about it in one of my, um, earlier episodes where I didn't agree with him on the premise uh, on like that is the reason why you should impeach Trump. Does Trump need to be impeached? I would say yes. I, I mean, not for the, not for this, this made up Russiagate BS. None, none of that CIA FBI BS that they totally, it was like, it was a, it was essentially a deep state coup is what they tried to do to Trump. But I would say impeach him on the grounds of you haven't gotten us out of these wars. You haven't eliminated spending. You've increased spending. You're putting the country in a more dangerous position than it's ever been. And I mean, why, why would you, why would you vote? If you are a, a small government conservative, why would you go along with this? If this was Obama doing this and that, you, you know, if you saw the tea party go against Obama, you saw these Republicans go against Obama for spending, getting into and getting into more wars. Trump has been doing all of that. So, I mean, that's just my opinion. I think you could pursue something along those lines. I didn't agree with him on the impeachment, but on everything else, Amash has been very, very good. He has one of the most consistent voting records out of any Republican. And he's voted on the, um, he's got like an A plus rating from like a conservative voting standpoint. He's, he's an amazing congressman. He's on the right side of a lot of things. He's on the right side. He's voting against uh, these spending bills that the uh, the president and everyone else is is coming up with these trillion dollar bailouts. It's completely ridiculous. And he's been very, very consistent. Look up Justin Amash's voting record. If nothing else, the man is consistent. You know what he is. He's got his voting record behind him. You know, you know who that man is and what his values are. So. Uh, this Justin Amash becoming the first libertarian and in in sitting in Congress is huge. Finally, for the first time, the Libertarian Party has representation in Congress. So let me read a little bit from this Reason article here. Justin Amash becomes the first libertarian member of Congress. In an interview, the freshly minted presidential candidate talks abortion, the spoiler charge, and Joe Biden's flip-flopping while insisting that 2020 is a winnable race. 
after a half century of existence, the Libertarian Party this morning wakes up to a situation it's never before experienced, with a sitting member of Congress proudly waving the Libertarian flag. I will be the first, Justin Amash told me uh, late Tuesday night, just after announcing his candidacy for the Libertarian presidential nomination. And I'm happy to do that, he said. Amash is not not the only person smiling. In an email, Libertarian Party Chair Nicholas Sarwak said, I'm happy to see the representative uh, Amash has come home to the political party most closely aligned with his views. If more members of the House who are tired of being marginalized by the GOP and the Democratic leadership joined him, we could see a caucus of legislators who are able to work for the American people instead of conflicting teams of special interests. My DMs are open. Amash, a president, a president critic, a (laughs) president critic. Yes, he is that a persistent critic of, of President Donald Trump, who left the Republican Party to become an independent last July 4th was facing a competitive re-election campaign in his third district of Michigan, a state whose straight-ticket ballot option disfavors candidates outside of the major two political parties. Yet, he says his seat could have been defended. That was one of the hardest parts of this decision, he said. When I'm looking at polling and fundraising and other aspects with respect to the congressional campaign, I felt I was in the driver's seat. I felt I was in a very strong position to win it, but I think it, this is too important. Amash, who is six for six in general elections, five in Congress, one in Michigan House of Represent- Representatives, claims that 2020 president, the, the 2020 presidential contest is a winnable race for the Libertarian Party. Uh, we'll see. Um, whose previous high watermark in 2016 was a 3.3% of the vote. When I look at these candidates, I think most Americans see the same thing I'm seeing which is these two candidates aren't up to being president of the United States and we need an alternative, he said. The botched and expensive federal response to the COVID-19 outbreak only makes that clearer, he said. Millions of Americans are seeing that the government spent trillions of dollars and still didn't get it right. Yes, thank you. They didn't get help to the people who need it most. Instead, most of the assistance went to the people who have great connections, who run big corporations. That's absolutely correct. And I'm excited for Justin Amash to be running as a libertarian. I I hope that I don't agree with him on every issue. I I don't think you should agree with anyone on every issue either. And it's, it's think for yourself, you know, that sort of, sort of thing. But he lines up a lot with, uh, I mean, the guy has been a Republican for a long time, but he had libertarian leanings. Um, you know, just like Rand Paul does, just like Thomas Massey does. These guys are have ran on the Republican ticket for so long just because the the two party system has it has this whole system locked down. It it totally is um the the third party option is totally non existent. That they've completely locked this whole system down. It's completely broken for third party access. But now the Libertarian uh, Party has ballot access on all 50 states and Justin Amash, a new sitting, uh, well, not a new sitting member of Congress, but a well-known member of Congress is now the first Libertarian member with representation there. And he's running on the Libertarian ticket. So, hey, I say go for it, man. If he wins the nomination, I think it'll be a, a good thing for the Libertarian Party. He wouldn't be my 
first choice, I don't think. I, I think I like um, Jacob Hornberger a little bit more um, as a candidate for the LP, but you know, we'll see what happens with the nomination. I, I wouldn't be mad either way. Uh, I think I think both of those guys can. Um, well, fingers crossed. I, I think both of them can represent the party and the views um, well enough. So let's move on a little bit here. Ah, yes, this is another uh, reason article. So a federal bailout of public pension systems would reward some states after decades of mismanagement. Illinois had a $137 billion in unfunded pension liabilities and $54 billion in unfunded retiree health care promises that existed prior to the pandemic. Prior to the pandemic, $137 billion in unfunded pensions and $54 billion in unfunded retiree health care pen- uh, promises. you got to be kidding me. And Illinois is asking for a bailout. A bailout. And Donald Trump tweeted about, like, I think I posted that on Facebook, where Donald Trump was, was kind of yelling at like, oh, these blue states, these mismanaged Democratic states want to bail out. You know, why should we bail them out? They, if they if they run mismanage their uh, their city so bad, why should they get a bailout? Well, yes, totally agree. Now take the same logic and apply it to companies. Why would you spend trillions of dollars to ba- to bail out mismanaged companies? Ah, whatever, whatever. But I thought that was such an insane, those numbers are completely insane right there. 137 billion in pension liabilities and 54 billion in retiree healthcare promises. (laughs) Yikes. All would have been good and well with Illinois public pensions if not for the financial disruptions and economic downturns caused by the coronavirus pandemic, right? That's the impression taxpayers might get from Illinois Senate, State Senate President Don Harmon's request for a federal pension bailout. According to Harmon, Illinois was a, quote, on a path to fund the pension liability in a manner that is actuarially sound until the pandemic arrived. But even before the COVID-19 pandemic, Reason Foundation's analysts found Illinois had a woeful average of just 40 cents saved for each dollar needed to cover the long-term retirement liabilities. 40 cents to each dollar. Harmon's statement that the pension system was on a was on the right fiscal path is contradicted by the 137 billion <laughs> you think in unfunded pension liabilities and 54 billion in, in uh, unfunded retiree healthcare promises that existed prior to the pandemic. Many public pension plans may take a hit due to the COVID-19 and economic fallout, but it is worth asking why Illinois became the first state to cite the pandemic as a reason to ask federal taxpayers to bail out the state's pension system. The stock market's mostly downward trend over the last two months is very convenient is a very convenient way to justify years of fiscal mismanagement of the Illinois pension system. The decade of robust stock market performance that just ended failed to improve the fiscal health of the Illinois pension plans at all. In fact, it worsened. Illinois' pension fund had already had already had an alarmingly low 60% funded ratio in 2006, meaning that it only had 60% of the funding needed to pay for the benefits 
promised to workers. And it has worsened since, falling to a 40% funded ratio in 2019. Thus, Illinois has has a less than half the assets it needs to cover the benefits promised to its public workers. Yikes. Yikes. Uh, Unbelievable. So Illinois, using the COVID-19 pandemic, as well as every other large business as an excuse to get money from the taxpayer, from the government. Oh, come bail us out with the government. The government has unlimited money, right? It can just print the money. Just give us the money. Bail us out. What's the problem? The government creates nothing. It doesn't make anything. It only, it can't, it doesn't sell stuff to make money. How does it get the money? It takes it from you and me. It takes it from everybody through taxes. That's how it is funded. It's the same way a mafia is funded. Okay. You say, you know, they provide protection. Yeah. So does the mafia. And if you don't pay your protection fee, guess what? You get thrown in a cage or you get curb stamped. I don't know. That was my best mob impression, which is horrible. I know. Um, let's move on. So this, this was breaking news that I saw the, the, uh, on the first Canada announced an immediate ban on military grade assault weapons. So essentially, let me see, let me get my notes up here. So essentially Trudeau announced that the government is closing the market for military grade, uh, assault weapons in Canada, Canada, banning 1500 models and variants of these firearms. He says there will be a two year amnesty period for current owners of those models and legislated compensation. So essentially there, you can turn them in and get paid for them by the government. Um, and then there'll be a two year period for people to comply with the law. And then guess what? If you don't comply after the two years and get your money from the government for turning in your weapon, guess what you are then? You're a criminal. Congratulations. You're a criminal. They can arrest you and throw you in jail. And if you refuse to go to jail for a crime of having a weapon to protect yourself, guess what? You refuse to go to jail. They'll kill you. That's what cops do. They're, they're sit there. If you refuse to go, guess what? You can't refuse to go to jail. You have to go to jail or else we'll shoot you death or jail. Those are your options. Listen to the Trudeau uh, kind of say this himself. Last week, 22 Canadians were killed in the deadliest rampage in our country's history. They were nurses and teachers, correctional officers and RCMP officers. They were someone's child, someone's best friend, someone's partner. Their families deserve more than thoughts and prayers. Canadians deserve more than thoughts and prayers. Today, we are closing the market for military-grade assault weapons in Canada. We are banning 1,500 models and variants of these firearms by way of regulations. These weapons were designed for one purpose and one purpose only, to kill the largest number of people in the shortest amount of time. There is no use and no place for such weapons in Canada. But you don't need an AR-15 to bring down a deer. So, effective immediately, it is no longer permitted 
to buy, sell, transport, import, or use military-grade assault weapons in this country. To protect law-abiding gun owners from criminal liability until they can take steps to comply with this new law, there will be a two-year amnesty period, and we will legislate fair compensation. Well, there you have it. That is Canada's Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau. Boy, I hate that guy. <laughs> that guy is the worst. He is the worst. And I'm, I've talked about guns so much on this show. I've done several episodes on guns, so I'm not going to like repeat myself. But th- this this argument that it's that owning a weapon is only for hunting. That's it. That's the only reason why you should own a weapon is for hunting. If you think this stops, if you think this stops at military grade assault weapons, you're kidding yourself. You're absolutely kidding yourself. I've gone over the numbers before rifles kill far, far less than handguns. Why? If the, if the goal is to save lives, why not just ban all guns? Why don't you do it? If that's the goal, why only ban the gun that kills less people? Why ban those guns? They kill less people. Sure, they're used in, in mass shootings. It's terrible. Yeah, it's terrible. Handguns kill far more people. Far, it's not even close. Handguns kill far more people. If the goal is to save lives, why don't you ban those? <sighs> Completely ridiculous, man. Same argument can be used for vehicles. Vehicles kill far kill far more people than guns. Yikes, dude. Whatever. Whatever. Um, Kim Jong-un is alive, if you can believe it. Kim Jong-un is alive and apparently well. I don't know. He's he's had his first public uh, appearance. So this is from BBC. Kim Jong-un has appeared in public for the first time in 20 days. The man is not dead. <laughs> well, or maybe they're doing like a weekend at Bernie's thing where they're just kind of like puppeteering him across. <laughs> Look at our leader, our, be- our beautiful leader. Just puppeting, <laughs> puppeting him around North Korea in front of a camera. Um, KCNA news agency reports that the North Korean leader cut the ribbon at the opening of a fertilizer factory. All right. So he's cutting, he's cutting ribbons. He's well enough to cut ribbons. Apparently it adds that people at the factory quote, broke into thunderous cheers of hurrah. When he appeared on Friday, hurrah, the man is alive. You know, those people were straight up being like, Oh my God, please. Not again. We thought he was dead. Now, apparently the guy, uh, I suppose that COVID-19 really hit North Korea hard. No surprise there. Country with a, with a, pretty much a non-existent healthcare system got hit hard with the pandemic. Um, and so he was just hiding out. He was just hiding out his lake house um, for several weeks. So that's when the rumors started to get around. Like maybe, maybe he's dead. He's not. He's alive. 
and uh, working his way around. So uh, we'll, we'll keep an eye on this to see if uh, any other differing reports come around to was he sick? Did he have health issues that he recovered from? We don't know. We don't know. At this time, he's making his rounds. He's actually made first public appearance in over 20 days. So that's all we know for now. Uh, let's move on to, ah, yes. So this is a tweet from Mayor Bill de Blasio. This is it. This COVID-19 stuff has brought out the, the worst in not only the government officials, but for the police as well, which is essentially the, the police are just the government's domestic military is what they are. So Mayor Bill de Blasio, New York City Mayor, tweeted this on April 28th. He said, my message to the Jewish community and all communities is this simple. The time for warnings has passed. I have instructed the New York Police Department to proceed immediately to summons or even arrest those who gather in large groups. This is about stopping this disease and saving lives, period. Wrong. This is about control. The New York mayor is rounding up Jews in New York, everybody. Don't believe me? Take a look at this video. This is New York City. New York City cops chasing chasing Jews down New York. Oh my god. How bad of a look is this, dude? New York City cops chasing and rounding up Jews for going to synagogue. Whoa. Man, I'm telling you, police, the, 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 there are good police and there are bad police. I, I, but listen, the police have a major PR problem. All right. And the reason for this PR problem is because a lot of these cops and these police are corrupt and, and, and it's because the power they wield, they've got too much power. All right. These people have too much power. Power corrupts and absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. It's true. It's true. These people have too much power. There's countless videos of of crap like this, like going down New York city, rounding up Jews for going to synagogue, practicing these, the Orthodox Jews practicing their religion, which should be covered under the first amendment in the constitution. By the way, you have the right. No one can take away your right to practice your, your religion. No one can do that. You're not supposed to be able to do that. Bill de Blasio is targeting New York police to go out and harass these people. And guess what? People can talk about how, oh, the cops would never do this. The cops would never do that. All these back the blue people. All right. Yes, there are some cops that would not go through with this. But what I'm seeing on video is a large portion of them are. And that would happen with every I posted on Facebook like, these conservatives saying that the cops would never go along with gun confiscation and these red flag laws. They're already going along with it. It's already passed in several states. You see all this COVID-19 stuff is starting to, they're starting to arrest people in parks. There's a video of a lady who took her child to the park 
and got arrested because she refused to leave. She refused to leave the park because she said, this is ridiculous. I brought my kids to the park. She's going to play at the park. And so she got into an argument with this officer and the officer said, okay, well, I'm just going to arrest you then arrest her on the spot for taking her kid to a park. This is another video right here. Take a look at, at this. This is a, uh, in Wisconsin, these officers came up to this lady's house and was questioning why she was letting her kid play at the neighbor's house. No, I'm not kidding. Listen to this. Hi. I'm Deputy Everhart with the Sheriff's Department. So are you aware that we're in a stay-at-home order right now? Uh, yeah, obviously. By the government? Yes, I Wisconsin? am aware. Okay, you're aware of that? I am aware. So I don't need to explain that to you? No, you don't need to explain okay, that to I me. Okay, I can if you need me to. Go, you can... Okay, first off, this guy is just an asshole. Which, I mean, to be fair, a good portion of cops are. They just kind of come in with that attitude right off the bat. But this guy with his with his kind of tone, do I need to explain that to you? Are you stupid? You know the governor has a stay-at-home order around, right? And you're not you're refusing to comply with his stay-at-home order. Your kids playing at the neighbor's house. Do I need to explain this to you? You idiot. That's the kind of connotation that he's putting out. So, that's a great way to start a conversation, right? No, you don't need to explain okay, that to I me. Can if you need me to. Go, you can you can because your officer was just here two weeks ago okay, do you need me and to he explained it, no? it to me that you guys weren't enforcing that order. Oh, we're about to. So okay. You understand it though? Okay, so why are you here? Because your daughter is going to play at other people's home and you're allowing it to happen. Right there. Why are you here again? Because your daughter's going over to play at your neighbor's home and you're letting it happen. Where's our country going right now? And these people, these people right here with a badge and a gun are enforcing these types of types of things. These people are going around and in enforcing laws saying when and where your child can't play at your neighbor's house. The government is not responsible for raising your kids. You are. So the fact that this is scary stuff, guys. I mean, this is this is insane. Right. You, you would never think that it would come to this. Like this would be a joke. If I were to tell you two months ago that cops are going to get, are going to get told to enforce these laws and they're going to go with it so far as that they will enforce when and where your children can't play in your own neighborhood. You would never believe me. Some of you might, but a lot of you wouldn't. It's gotten to this point now. They were over here as well. So okay. are you they, here? They've been, and they've been talked to okay. about it. So no, I understand. You, okay. And so either you can acknowledge it or you can argue. I'm, a, I'm acknowledging it. Okay. Stop having your kid go by other people's home. Okay. I acknowledge it. Anything Good. else? Nope. That was it. Apparently there was some other I acknowledged it. I, I acknowledged okay. it. Good. Anything else? Um, yeah. I need your um, last name. Amy, what's your last name? I'm not. Do you, is there a reason you're asking for I'm it? I'm adding you to the screen so we can document that we had contact with you is there a reason for it yep because you're that's violating what I, that's a state what order about. which is a if you let me finish that's what i'm explaining yeah you violated a state order <laughs> you violated a state order when your child went over to the neighbor's house and started playing in the yard you violated a state order so i'm going to need your name your full name so that we can write it down and 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 show that we went by and, and told you that you can't have your kid playing in the neighbor's yard to you because you're violating an order 
I haven't gonna, violated an order. We're going to have documentation in our screen with your name because we're here talking to you about that that you said you just acknowledged. Okay. So then there's documentation. I would like to see the law that requires me to give you that information. Thank you. Because I haven't. What is your middle initial? I don't believe that I'm required to give that to you. Are we done here? No, we're not. Okay. Your middle initial and your last name. I'm not giving it to you. I haven't done anything wrong. Okay. Perfect. We got it. Okay. And that'll be documented, too, that you're uncooperative. Okay. And that'll be documented, too, that you were uncooperative. Yeah, well, I'm going to document that you're just all assholes. Like, this lady is being harassed by these cops for violating a state order because her kid went next door and started playing in the yard. Like, insane, man. Insane. Protest against this kind of stuff is happening all across the country. I I saw this recently where large crowds were gathering in in different places in California. Um, Let's take a listen to this. Tonight at 11, May 1st protests happening across the state of California. From Huntington Beach to downtown Los Angeles and San Bernardino to Sacramento, these protesters are calling for an end to the state's stay-at-home orders. And thousands of protesters gathered near the pier in Surf City, USA, protesting the closure of OC beaches. Eyewitness News reporter Leanne Suter has that story from Huntington Beach. The battle to reopen Orange County beaches is continuing in the courts, but for now they remain closed as the two sides remain at odds. Huntington Beach shut down along with all other Orange County beaches after the governor deemed it too dangerous to keep them open. Huntington Beach and Dana Point both going to court to try to reverse the sudden closure. We argued that California residents have a constitutional right to access and enjoy the beaches along our coastline and that the governor lacked legal authority to close the beaches and uh, provided little to no justification. The judge denying the temporary injunction but ordering both sides back to court in just over a week, leaving the beaches off limits for now. Fight for your rights! Fight for your rights! And thousands of protesters voicing their frustrations, demanding the beaches and the economy reopen immediately. We are the government. We tell the governor what to do. It's we the people. Governor Newsom no, actually Orange don't. County beaches <laughs> they can do whatever they want. Thousands headed to the shore last weekend saying the lack of social distancing puts I wish that was the case. That's a lie though. That that's a that's a lie from the government. You don't have any control over that. You have the illusion illusion of control and the illusion of choice. That's what democracy gives you is the illusion of control. Democracy doesn't give you any control. They have the whole system rigged. You are not the government. The government the government has all power over you. And you've given it to them. You've voted for that power in. Californians at risk of continuing to spread the virus, but he did hint that changes may be coming. If we have the kind of weekend that I hope and expect we will, uh, where we don't see those huge crowds descend, uh, then we're going to be in a position as early as Monday, Tuesday, I hope, to make some announcements. City leaders in Huntington Beach say the governor's actions go too far. We felt it was unwarranted and not supported by the data, that public health data, in terms of Orange County actually has some of the lowest mortality rates in California. 
Police say they will be out in force this weekend enforcing the beach closure. That battle in court will continue May 11th. So that's that Tonight there. Whoops. That's that there. I mean, this is happening in California. <laughs> so uh, this isn't some red state where these these protests have been happening before, where they're wanting to open up these these states. And, and a lot of these protesters are kind of um, people who are, um, you know, Trump supporters or, or, or right right wing Republicans. Um, these are the types of people that are going out and demanding that the states reopen uh, so that they can go back to work. And rightly so. They should. They should have the right to go back and work because they can't rely on the government to give them a single twelve hundred dollar check. And that single twelve hundred dollar check is not going to uh, it's not even going to be enough to cover rent for especially for people in California. Are you kidding me? So, they, yes, they have the right to be upset. And you see them getting up in the faces of these police officers that are there to enforce those kind of lockdowns. And they're yelling at the police. Meanwhile, these people were ba like the back the blue uh, type of, of crowd. All of a sudden, they're against the blue in this situation. I would hope that this kind of situation shows that, I, I mean, the police, they're no, this, this crowd, this, this Trump crowd is no longer accepting this um, kind of excuse that they've given the police before this kind of, they're only following orders they're, they're good people. They wouldn't, they wouldn't enforce unconstitutional laws. They took an oath when they took the jobs, they wouldn't enforce unconstitutional laws. Meanwhile, it's happening and they're getting upset at them and rightly so. So I would feel like this would, I, I would hope that this would be a red pill moment for this group to, to, to not just unilaterally all support all cops support all military. This is this kind of blanket support is, is silly. It's absolutely silly. You deal with people on an individual basis. So this kind of like just doing their job excuse or like, you know, don't get upset at the cops, get upset at the politicians and the mayors and everyone kind of setting these laws in place. No, yeah, get upset at those people for creating the laws. Uh, obviously, get upset at those people. They shouldn't be pushing these laws in the first place and creating them. They're unconstitutional. But I hold the ones enforcing the laws more responsible than the ones that created them. Because at the end of the day, the police are the one throwing people in a cage. At the end of the day, the police are the ones enforcing the unconstitutional laws. These people, these politicians that you get upset at, for, for putting these unconstitutional laws in place can only go so much. They, they can only do so much. They just put the laws on the books. The police have the authority to say, no, we're not going to do this. This is unconstitutional. It's wrong. Just because something is legal does not make it moral. Slavery was once legal in this country. It was not moral, obviously. But you cannot equate legality with morality. This type of unconstitutional lockdown and telling people that it's illegal for them to go and work for money and to not rely on the government to send them a $1,200 check that who knows when that's coming to them. They just want to, they want to be able to make money and buy food and support their family. That's what they want to do. And if someone goes and reopens their business, who comes and marches in and arrests the person who opens up their hair salon to work for money, to give haircuts that people need? Who comes up to the business 
and arrest that person. The police do. The police do. Not the politician that put it in place. The police do. And the police have the option to say, should I enforce this? No, this is wrong. This person's just trying to make a living, just trying to get by as a hairstylist. Should I arrest this person for trying to operate a business which is essential to that person and their livelihood? Should I do that? Yes or no? Some might say no. Obviously, many say yes. Anyway, so that that's, I mean, I was so upset at all of this. I mean, it really is bringing out the worst in the government and the police. I know that there's good police officers out there. I've got friends who are, who work as police officers. I know there's good people out there, but th- this power that they're displaying is completely out of control, completely out of control. It has to be fixed. It has to be stopped. And the only way to do that is to shrink government control and power not to continue to let it grow. Yikes. Anyway, that is all that I have for today, everybody. Thank you again for, um, for tuning in. I I really, really, uh, am happy with the support I've been getting. So thank you again. Thank you, everybody. Remember, if you haven't already, go check out our Facebook page. That's where the video will be posted. Um, Subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. We'll see you on the next episode of Freedom Strips. Peace.